how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Venus Sud, screenwriter behind Seven Seconds, The Killing, and Cold Case, returns to discuss her latest venture, Quibi's short-form series, The Stranger. Quibi is a short-form mobile platform from producer Jeffrey Katzenberg, the producer of movies like Shrek, The Prince of Egypt, and The Road to El Dorado. In a previous interview, we spoke with Sud about slow burn storytelling, which applied to the rhythm and tone of her work. The Stranger, though, is somewhat the opposite of her previous formula. With all these parameters in mind, her new story is about an unassuming rideshare driver who picks up a nightmare passenger. In this interview, Sud discusses writing for phone viewers, meaning horizontal and vertical viewing, how Quibi programming is a hybrid of movie and TV writing, how to weaponize an audience, how she uses the zeitgeist of headlines for inspiration, and three ways to trick yourself out of writer's block. If you haven't seen the series, watch for some light spoilers around the 16-minute mark of this chat, and make sure to also go back and listen to my original conversation with Sud in episode 94 of the podcast, and both of these conversations are on the Creative Screenwriting website in print form. What intrigued me about the Quibi platform was um, the, the other type of sandbox it offered me as a storyteller, and, and what I mean by that is... You know, there's a possibility. So, so Quibi, as you know, is is uh, content that you watch on your phone. Um, and what I loved about the concept when I first was talking to Jeffrey about it was this idea that we are so um, organically, oddly enough, attached to these devices in our hands, and they've become. Um, the, the the device offered a way to tell a story that would potentially um, offer two things. One is interactivity that um, is already natural to us because we interact with our phones um, and in a way that traditionally we don't interact with story, you know, on, on our screens, big or small. 
and also the idea of a different, a very radically different type of palette. So phones are designed to be held in our hands, and thus the screen will be vertical. And so I had to be ready when we shot this to um, have an audience member potentially watching the entire screen on the polar opposite of the aspect ratio that I'm used to telling stories on. So instead of a wide screen, your horizontal screen, people would be looking at things on a, you know, vertical telephone screen. So the challenge then became um, how do you create an experience that is as fascinating and lush and propulsive and intriguing um, on that size screen as you would on, you know, a, a traditional horizontal screen. So I talked with um, a DP that I'd wanted to work with for a while, Paul Yee. He shot the fits. And, um, you know, his, his camera movement in that move, movie was very lyrical and beautiful, and that's what I sensed I would need on The Stranger, um, a, a camera that was incredibly um, oriented towards movement. Um, and, and because we don't have the widescreen or we potentially would not have a widescreen um, viewing experience on Quibi, instead of thinking of east and west, you know, as we usually do with, you know, a, a wider aspect ratio, we had to think in terms of depth. So um, in terms of how deep can you go in the actual screen, how far can you see, um, what type of lines can be designed inside the shot that draw your eye deep into the screen. So you, you're feeling yourself in a, in a world, um, and you're not feeling less information. You're feeling as much as you would have felt um, in, a, in a horizontal experience. So there was a lot that Quibi offered that I had not been able to do before um, in traditional you know, television and, and also um, cinematic storytelling that was just deeply appealing. So I actually watched it on my phone to kind of get the full experience. I, I've noticed that when you turn it um, upwards and sideways and back and forth, it's not just the the vertical position. It's not just the middle. It's it's where the action is. So I assume there's two edits uh, involved with that as well. Are there any other details you can share? Was this simply a condensed version of a regular show in terms of like uh, – you know, budget, those type of things? Or was it more like a, a, a movie or something like that as far as the thinking behind uh, the process? The Stranger was definitely more of a hybrid of, of television and a movie. We, we, we prepped, we shot, um, you know, like a movie. We edited to some degree like a television show. Um, and I wrote both ways. So when I wrote the initial draft and, and outline of um, of The Stranger, I wrote with a three-act structure in mind, and then I literally went through the script, and I every 10 pages I stopped, and just to see where I would end up. And, um, and, and, and in many situations, it was not an end of an episode. So um, what I started to think about was in television – um, you know, the, the, the number of acts have changed over time, but the acts that I've worked with on my last two shows have been usually about 10 minutes. Um, and so that felt like a really natural fit for me as a writer to think of 10-minute increments as a way to tell a part of a story. So, um, 
you know, I would I refashion kind of the, the, the script based off of that different mindset, which was a television mindset. And then I went through and said, okay, um, how can I not be repetitive in terms of my uh, episode outs? Because there's such tiny bites of time, right, ranging anywhere from, you know, six to, to ten minutes at, at the maximum, that um, the outs would feel repetitive if I kept doing the same thing. It would feel like a one-trick pony. And so I had to be really mindful and aware of, you know, there were outs that were, you know, sometimes like, is is the, is the hero not a reliable narrator, you know, is our hero in fact crazy and making all of this up, you know, so there were definitely different points of um, excitement that could not just be like, you know, he, he's in the, he's in the bathroom, he's in the hallway, he's in the car, he's in, you know, that, I mean, just saying that it makes me feel bored, you know, it, it gets repetitive. So um, that was, that was a really interesting challenge in writing wise. Were there some other conversations about that? Like, so one example, uh, not to give anything away, but when you're watching, there's there's phone calls and, and video chats and those type of things. So if you're watching on your phone, it, you, you're reminded that you're you're possibly being watched and some of those things. What were some of the psychology behind that and, and maybe crafting these characters and these plot points? Yeah, I mean, that's a really, that was, that's great a great question because it was really um, one of the more exciting things about the, the story itself that, you know, ultimately it's about being watched and followed by someone who has access to you because you walk around with a phone, which we, for the most part, all do. And and the truth of the matter is that, as we know from Cambridge Analytica, there is such um, really heightened development of um, many things, including, you know, how our phones are, are tracking us, how, you know, um, Google Maps has, like, accidentally downloaded kind of server information while they were mapping out the world. I mean, technology is just moving at such a hyperspeed that the ethos, we don't have time to think of the ethical implications um, before the technology is developed. So that was, like, a really exciting thing to think about when I was writing the story and and to talk to AI developers, you know, who've, who are saying, you know, I feel like Oppenheimer sometimes with a bomb. I feel like the technology I'm developing, you know, I don't know what it's going to do. Like there are bad things that can happen. Um, and so I tried to address some of that in, in, in the show, um, what's possible <clears throat> that we're not even aware of. L- like, for example, social media can predict addiction um, patterns and and relapse, et cetera, which is actually a real thing. So um, there's this really interesting meta to the to the series where you're you're watching on your phone a woman being tracked by a lunatic on her phone and learning as you watch that your phone is making you pretty vulnerable <laughs> um, in ways that you never for the most part suspected. I think it's 13 episodes. There may be five to 10 uh, minutes each of different lengths per episode. What were some of those difficulties that maybe you didn't expect uh, in this writing exercise? I felt that um, I, I did. I have come from my own kind of ethos is, is very slow burn. I like the contemplative story. I like being able to spend time, you know, looking at the screen and spending um, long amounts of time getting to know characters 
the fun and the challenge of this is I didn't have the time, you know, and that created the story itself. The story of The Stranger came from the platform itself um, because it is so out, outside of my usual wheelhouse. So, yeah, I mean, it was just it was trying a whole new set of muscles, you know, create a story that's hyper propulsive that um, keeps you on the edge of your seat, that tries to talk about technology and a potential dystopia, um, that tries to infuse the story with feminism and, and this radical anger, you know, at uh, toxic masculinity um, with this kind of subversive element around the 2016 election and Harvey and, and, and you know, female rage. And so take all of that and put it in a, the space of six minutes uh, was was a huge challenge and also um, really, really satisfying. Um, one of the bigger challenges was just a technical thing, and it was really having to do with production, is staying awake at night for five weeks. Um, you know, the the cast and the crew and all of us, you know, we we were shooting um, all locations for the most part throughout Los Angeles at night. The story takes place over the course of 13 hours over the course of one night. And so, you know, all of us switching into vampire mode um, for five weeks was a pretty formidable task. <laughs> it was it was really, really harder than I thought. Um, but it was also really exciting because at the same time the characters were – this movie, this this show movie is is an homage to Los Angeles and to parts of the city that we don't really see popularly, you know, on the big screen or small, and um, the mysterious Los Angeles, the lost LA, the kind of LA of of yore, and um, I was really, you know, while we were shooting that LA of yesteryear, we were in it, you know, in the middle of the night at 2 a.m., um, you know, when the streets were really quiet. And then on the weekends, you know, we had to keep those same hours um, because you couldn't go to sleep or your schedule would be totally messed up. So getting to know L.A. at night, you know, going to late night movies and eating, you know, uh, bar food at 4 a.m. in Koreatown and going to spas and going on hikes, you know, that was all really fascinating. It was hard physically, though. Let's talk about these uh, characters a little bit. I want to kind of start with Carl. Um, I don't want to give too much away here, but he's a very extreme character. And, and it's, it's, per, it's part of the purpose in that, and maybe especially the first episode or two episodes, that he's so extreme he can't be real. And we're wondering if about her past and, and if this person is made up. Was he kind of uh, you know extreme in that regard as well? Did you make him a little bit worse possibly as a villain or is that part of just the the uh, short context? Everything kind of needs to be a little bit bigger and more heightened to, to get people to just pay attention, I guess. I really wanted to create a character um, who was completely arrogant, you know, who was arrogant, who was entitled, who was absolutely 100% sure of his dominance um, and sure that he would win this fight. Um, and, and, and I don't, you know, it's no accident, right? That you know, this dropped. You know, this is this this movie was. I mean, I, I crafted it around the time that you know, post. Um, I mean, for the upcoming elections. <laughs> I mean, it, Carl 
really came from a place of a lot of rage for me. Um, I feel like, you know, post, again, post Harvey, post 2016, you know, there was a, a lot of amorphous rage that a lot of women were and are feeling about the state of the state. And I really wanted this um, this character to really epitomize kind of the, the arrogance and the entitlement and the toxic, toxic masculinity that, you know, we've become so immune to. I mean, it is it's 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 horrifying that this is what is leading this nation and uh and it's no accident that you know the story ends the way it does um it is a revenge fantasy no doubt we can uh, i'll put a, maybe a spoiler warning here are there some ties to like little red riding hood is that is that part of the story as well or was that something that's more coincidental oh <laughs> That's funny. Um, yes, I mean, there is definitely, there is a whole fable element to The Stranger. There is the Wizard of Oz. There's Dorothy and her dog. Um, there's, you know, the Yellow Brick Road. There's literally going from a monochromatic, somewhat normal world uh, to a hyper-technicolor, you know, surreal nightmare um, of, of neon Los Angeles at night. Um yeah, and I, and I love that. I, maybe, I mean, it was not purposeful at all, but um, there is something about, uh, yeah, yes, a woman in the woods, um, and and there are wolf-like creatures, um, but they're actually in her service. So, <laughs> bring that a little bit on its head. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I you know, it, at, at at its heart, in many ways. The story is a revenge fantasy, and it's also an homage to an, a, a city that you know I, I love and that I've gotten to know really well, but have not had the opportunity to shoot in since 2008. So um, it came from a lot of wanderings, you know, throughout LA at night. Um, and and I live in a place, and we all do, where there's coyotes, you know, and there's wild animals. And in my neighborhood, there's a bear. You know, I live up in the mountains. So I, I always love this idea of the urban meets the the wild. Let's talk a little bit about um, uh, Claire's character. You, you've already mentioned like some, some feminist aspects to the story. Obviously, she's responding to the things that Crawl's doing. Um, she's new to the area is one thing we know about her. And as we go along, uh, there's some mystery, and she's stronger than she seems. Obviously, one big theme. But what were some of the aspects in writing this character for you? Um, I was I was interested in a woman who um, has to meet her worst nightmare, um, and in the process of one night, face all her demons. So whether that was the demon of not being believed when she you know, tried to tell people what happened to her as a child, um, or it's the demon, you know, that that is manifested in front of her with this man who clearly, you know, hates women and he's and he's taunting her in particular, um, and, 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 and assuming that he's going to win this battle with her. Um, I was just fascinated by taking a woman who seems frail, weak, um, easily scared, damaged, as Carl E. calls her, damaged goods, um, and seeing this woman rise to the occasion 
and um, turn and face her attacker. And again, you know, bringing up the whole Harvey of it all, you know, and Me Too, and and what's emerged, you know, in this industry and throughout this country in the last few years, is this sense of power that we are capable, you know, of speaking the truth of what has happened to us and continues to happen in our lives as women and and being held having having those people held accountable between uh here and seven seconds you get a lot of your inspiration from the headlines how do you plot out ideas or what do you do with ideas i guess in between actual jobs you're doing are you constantly revising what kind of system do you have to where you decide okay i really want to pursue this and pitch it or write it or whatever the next steps would be I mean, for me, it's more like, it's very amorphous. It's more after the exhaustion of doing a show, especially a television show, which can take such a long time. um, I usually just, I mean, I like to just tell my friends it's just time to fill the well. So that means nothing and everything. That means reading, watching documentaries without any purpose. You know, it's just following whatever is interesting to me that day, going on a hike, going on a solo camping trip, um, looking at photographs, you know, anything that will just somehow, I think, start a thought. Um, and, and many times nothing comes from it. Many times it's just for pleasure or for, you know, for, for me. Um, with seven seconds, it was just turning on the television, you know, and every night seeing you know, another black man or child being shot and killed by the police. Um, And this was, you know, post-Ferguson. And so I think that what happens a lot is the world just comes in, you know, as the world is. Um, And for me, it's it's the, the notion and the clarity that whatever I'm writing, I may be, you know, doing for years. Um, because it does take time to develop something and then you attach people to it, whether it's a director or or cast, and then you go out and pitch it and then you're writing it again. And then you're, you know, it's a, it's a very long process, especially television. So whatever comes in has to like sink deep, 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 um, in, in my bones. And, and there is just this magical thing where I know, this is what I can commit to. This is a story or an idea I can commit to. It never, it is never something I seek ever. Um, it's always kind of, you know, on the voyage of looking around the world. It, you know, I, I, I find it or it finds me. A lot of the, uh, the ideas and themes you work with seem are, are very big responsibilities. Do you feel like, um, do you see it as character obligations, or what is it maybe in this story? Was it the, the plot, the idea, the character? What kind of, you know, made you take, you know, take this journey to tell the story? Well, you know, I think all of us as creators, um, you know, we write uh, and we um, spend time with the people and the stories that, that, that break our hearts, that are our truths, um, that speak to us in our very DNA cellular structure. So, um, you know, there's never an idea of obligation um, for me. There's, it's more 
I feel it. I know it. I, you know, with, with this, with the stranger, I know what this young woman is like. You know, I know what it feels like to not be heard um, and to be relegated to the back corners of, of a life, you know, and, and so, um, and to be seen as, you know, not telling the truth, you know, um, and to, to be a second class citizen. So all of that comes from who I am, you know, all of us as writers write what we know to a certain degree. And, um, and I think that that for me is a place of a lot of catharsis to be able to um, walk her through a journey of redemption that, you know, maybe is not 100% true for me or for many, you know, uh, women I know. But um, that's that's what our art is, is, you know, how we see ourselves and how we hope to see ourselves um, and, and how we hope to be the heroes in, in our lives, you know. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, and having said that, I think, you know, there's, you know, this is this is definitely why it's so important in, in our industry to have diverse voices, you know, behind the camera, um, because all stories come from the heart, you know, and if you have not walked in the shoes of what it feels like to be a particular member of society, it's very hard, I think, to tell those stories in a way that's authentic and true and, and resonates. So you mentioned kind of a little bit about your process. A lot of it sounds like it's important to take those rests in between and, and find the next inspiration. Do you ever suffer from any type of creative blocks or writer's blocks, or is it more about just that balance, the downtime, and then the busy times of writing? I absolutely suffer from writer's block. I, um, you know, I have found that um, for me the best places to write come from when I'm not thinking about it or feeling the obligation to do it. Um, and, and by that, I mean, when I'm in the middle of a show, you know, there's so much to be done as a showrunner. There's so much, you know, responsibilities and, and there's posts going on and production and then prep. And blah. and so um, to, to then be like, okay, now you need to sit down and write for the next three hours is, is probably the most like, ridiculously like not even productive things I can do. So, and, and nothing ever happens. I sit there and I end up responding to emails. So what I started to do is trick myself into writing. So I'll have something that I know I have to do a, a rewrite on or, or something. And I will go to bed and I'll say, you know what, before I go to bed, cause I read before I go to bed, let me just read this. Let me just read this. I'll just read this. And just, just for reading pleasure or just to know what I'll do at some point in the not too distant future. And I end up writing, you know, it's, it's like I, and I know I'm doing, <laughs> but there's something about sitting, you know, sitting up against a bunch of pillows, knowing that my usual routine is to read anyway. Um, there's some something to that that really is helpful um, to me. Uh, so I have to trick myself. I do that, and then when I'm uh, when I'm developing and I'm writing full time, um, I will give myself a, a a bunch of hours in the morning um, and try not to do too much before it, so that I'm the sensor hasn't woken up yet, and I can you know just write without any obligation that any of it has to be anything other than just, you know, and, and then I usually hate it and then I don't look at it and then I look back, you know, and I'm like, okay, not bad, you know? 
Um, the other trick for all the writers out there that I do that I, I cannot believe how useful it is, is when I'm really stuck, I'll write longhand. So, I, again, I think most of this, the theme seems to be you're not obligated for any of this to actually be readable or any good, but just just do it. And so I did that once on a flight. I, I, had, I was on a deadline. I was in the middle of a show, and I knew that this thing had to be written, and I was kind of just panicking because I was like, oh, my God, I haven't written it yet. And I was like, okay, I've got five hours just take a pencil. I literally, it was a pencil and, and um, a legal pad and just start writing. And it was amazing. It was amazing how much flow came out of that. And for the most part, almost everything that I wrote, I was using, I used in the script. Um, so tricking myself to not take things too seriously seems to be um, the best thing. And it's probably just exactly what I'm doing too between shows is, just living life, hanging out, watching something, or going on a hike and looking at something. And yeah, it, it allows it to breathe without having to think, you know, without the sensor all of a sudden jumping in and saying, that's a terrible idea. I'll never be able to shoot that. <laughs> so I was listening to an interview with um, David Lindelof, one of the creators of Lost, and he was talking about how he, he kind of wished that showrunners or directors had the chance to prescribe how people watch their series. So, like, for example, if you watch a show once a week, like Network, you're kind of with that show for a course of months. But if you binge it in a weekend, you're only with it for a, a day or two. How do, looking back on some of your work, how would you maybe prescribe uh, The Killing in Seven Seconds and then this new series on Quibi? I am an intense person who likes to hunker down with something and, and read it from start to finish or watch it from start to finish myself. So I love this new world we live in. I love that um, people can sit down and watch um, the killing or seven seconds, you know, over the course of a weekend. And, and I love to hear stories when people do that, you know, and, 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 you know, I hear it anecdotally, I hear it through other people, um, there's an intensity, I think, to uh, both of the shows and to The Stranger that I think lends itself to the need to watch the next one and the next one and the next one. Um, and that type of binging has also enabled me, because I, you know, before I did cable and streaming, I, I wrote for network television. Um, you don't have to repeat yourself ever. You know, you can be novelistic in how you write television. Uh, and, 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 I mean, with films, they're stuck in the theater. They've got to watch the whole thing. Television, you know, who knows what anybody's doing anymore. But what it affords us, binging and everything being in one place, is I never have to dumb down at any point or repeat because, you know, the viewer can just rewind or they've, they've been up for seven hours watching the damn thing so they know exactly what just happened? And that was the most frustrating thing about, you know, doing network is the need to repeat because there was so much time between shows and the commercials, you know, and, and the commercials are loud and they got longer. See, our time drop from like 50 minutes to 43 minutes was just despairing. It was so horrible. 
and and then to be thinking, my God, this poor audience is being, you know, they have to compete in their minds with what they're watching. Like, no wonder, no wonder we're repeating ourselves every five seconds. Um, but I love the fact that people can just sit down and, and read this like you would read a novel. Uh, just the last one. Is there anything we missed you want to say about The Stranger or any other uh, a book or story ideas people should go watch um, to kind of see these similar themes? I feel like there's so much um, really amazing content out there. You know, um, r- really, there's I mean, we're, we live in a time where um, we're so we're, we're, we're so lucky. You know, we get to we get to just watch everything. I feel it. I feel I, I watch a lot of documentaries. That's probably the thing I watch the most. And um, I have to say, it's so fascinating to me that we as Americans are not only watching documentaries, but we're also the amount of foreign films and even foreign television that audiences are watching in this country now is was unheard of. You know, seven years ago. So I feel like the golden age of television is introducing um, a whole new um, time of for all of us to just you know be able to sample everything from throughout the world. Um, and I'm you know when I when I created The Killing, nobody would watch anything uh, with subtitles, and now it seems pretty much a matter of course that people will. Um, so that's great. You know we have access to more things now, and that's. A beautiful thing. And that is our show. Thanks again for tuning in. If it's your first time, make sure to hit that subscribe button on SoundCloud or iTunes. Also check out the new video essay series on YouTube called Creative Principles. And give us a review. That's one of the best ways to help share these interviews. Thanks again.